0: If you were to ask a Roman Catholic priest, what is the most important thing about being a Christian, what do you think he would say? If you were to ask a Southern Baptist preacher or an elder in the Church of Christ the same question, what answer would you expect to receive? If you asked a Unitarian Universalist minister, Which of the seven principles that unite the diverse members of their denomination is most important? Do you think they would be able to tell you just one? If you asked an atheist, what is the key to living a good life? Do you think you could accept their answer for your own? What about you? What's your answer What do you think is the most important thing for you to do to be faithful? Faithful to God, faithful to your family and friends, faithful to this world, faithful to the life that you have been given. In today's gospel lesson, a religious leader, one of the experts in the Jewish law, came to Jesus to ask him that same question, teacher, Which commandment in the law is the greatest? Matthew records this episode as one of a series of challenges between the religious authorities and Jesus, challenges over his authority. Over and over again, those religious leaders were testing Jesus, trying to trap him in his own words. Matthew presents this episode as if it's another attempt to catch Jesus saying something mistaken, but I think the gospel writer might be overplaying his hand just a little bit. Mark tells the same story, but tells it really differently. In Mark's version, the man who asks this same question does so genuinely. And if you think about the question itself, which commandment is the greatest, there's really not any way for Jesus to give an answer that would be controversial for either his followers or any of the authorities. So instead, I like to think that this lawyer really wanted to know what Jesus would say. I like to hear in his voice a tone of respect when he says to Jesus, Teacher, after all, don't we learn more from other people, especially our opponents, when we give them the benefit of the doubt? Whatever his motive, this man asks a good question and I want to hear the answer. I want to know what Jesus thinks is most important, not because he might say something controversial, but because in a world in which there are so many different people's opinions about what is most important, I think Jesus' opinion is worth listening to. And what is Jesus' response? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. We're familiar with those words. If you've been to the 730 service here at St. Paul's, you've heard them before in the middle of worship. Every Sunday in the Rite One Liturgy, we start our worship, with that summary of the law. That's how central these words are to our understanding of what really matters. But I wonder whether we hear those words the way that Jesus intended for us to hear them. All my life, I've heard Jesus' response as if it's delivered to us in two distinct but related packets. The first part about loving God and then the bit about loving our neighbor. And because of that separation, without intending to, I've always heard a qualitative difference between the two commandments. In part, that's a product of the English words we use in this story, greatest and first. Those are words that imply a singular object. They anticipate an answer with unique and unrivaled priority. And because of that, I've always understood Jesus to say something like the absolute most important commandment is to love God. And then after that, a close second, not quite as important as the first, but almost as important, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Does that sound familiar? I think a lot of Christians feel that way, that loving God comes first, and then whatever's left over goes to our neighbor's. And I suspect that there are plenty of atheists, and probably some Episcopalians as well, who would say that that's exactly what's wrong with contemporary Christianity, that people who call themselves Christians spend way too much time and energy trying to convince people to believe what they believe rather than taking care of the needs of those around them. But I don't think either of those perspectives is what Jesus had in mind. As is often the case, some of the nuance gets lost in translation. Most English versions, including the one we hear in worship, gives weight to the Semitic culture and influences, trying to convey to us what Jesus would have said and what his audience would have heard. Because of that, they add a superlative form of the word great, That's why when we hear this, both the lawyer's question and Jesus' response, we hear which commandment in the law is the greatest. The greatest is this, Jesus says. But other versions, preferring a simpler reading of the text, don't add that superlative where none actually exists. So instead, in those versions, we hear something closer to which is the great commandment in the law. Some scholars go one step further and note that because the definite article, the the, is also missing, it actually might be better for us to hear the lawyer's question something like this. What sort of commandment in the law is really important? Now that's a question I find helpful helpful for my own faith, because it's not an attempt to narrow it all down to one or perhaps two narrow commandments, but it's a question about the nature of the law itself. What really matters? And if we allow ourselves to hear the lawyer's question with that open-ended nature, then Jesus' response takes on a whole new layer of meaning. Instead of providing two separate answers, Commandment 1A and 1B, Jesus names a single unifying principle that undergirds everything that is important in God's law. One part of what matters most is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And the second part is just like the first. No distinction at all, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, which function like a single peg, all the law and the prophet's teachings hang. Now, in one sense, for those of us at St. Paul's, that's not all that surprising We know from the way we practice our faith, as well as from the gospel account that we read, that it's not possible to love God and forget about our neighbor. You might remember earlier in Matthew's gospel account that a rich man comes to Jesus and asks what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus told him to keep the commandments, listing among others the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. When the man acknowledged that he had kept all of these since his youth, but still felt like something was missing, Jesus told him to sell all of his possessions and give the money to the poor. Why? Because Jesus knew that a rich man who ignores the needs of his neighbors isn't actually keeping any of the commandments at all. Because how can we claim to love God if we aren't loving the ones whom God has made. That's the part that makes sense to us. But it's the other part that I have a hard time wrapping my mind around. If these two commandments really are two sides of the same coin, if they're two halves of the same principle, can we also recognize that the opposite claim is true? Just as we acknowledge that you can't love God unless you love your neighbor, can we also say that it's impossible to love our neighbor unless we also love God? Think about it this way. Loving our neighbor is always loving God because our neighbor has always been made in God's image. Whether we acknowledge it or not, When we love another human being, we are loving the one in whose image that human being has been made. And when that becomes the motivation for our love, when we learn to love others simply because they are human, because they too share the divine image, we learn to love others the way that God loves them. And that, in turn, teaches us something about God and God's love. The desert mystic Evagrius Ponticus wrote that the work of love is to recognize that all people are made in God's image and to love them as nearly as we love God, regardless of how much they may seem to be unlike God. We don't love our neighbors as ourselves because we like them or because we agree with them but because they are as precious to God as we are. And who teaches us to love others like that? Jesus. Remember who it is that Jesus identifies as our neighbor, not the member of our own clan or tribe or family, not the one who deserves our love or who loves us first, but the person with whom we have nothing in common except our human nature the nature that God has taken upon God's self in order to redeem us all. This is the sort of place where that love is put into action. At St. Paul's, we not only recognize that we cannot love God without loving our neighbors, but this is also a place where we believe that loving other people teaches us how to love God. That is why I am proud to be the rector of this church. Everything we do inside these walls equips us for the work we carry out beyond these walls. Our commitment to loving others in the community inevitably teaches us about God and God's love. One cannot come before the other because the two always go hand in hand. When you make a financial commitment to this church, that is what you are giving yourself to to a church that believes you don't have to pick one or the other loving god or loving your neighbor at st paul's we believe that those two commandments are inseparable sides of the same truth we love god by loving our neighbors and we love our neighbors whenever we love god when we make that love a first priority in our lives We not only support a congregation that does a lot of good in the world, but we teach ourselves that we belong to a God who loves us and all people without limit. Is there anything more important than that?